I hope you all didn't think I was going to let a week go by without an episode of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm not going to let you get by another week without another episode of Monster Kid Radio. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook, here with another episode. Had a great time with Lucha de Mayo last month, but it's time to get back to some non-luchador genre action. And we're doing that this week by diving into a movie from the 1970s. We're going to get into The Legend of Hell House with friend of the show, fellow podcaster, illustrator, author, Alistair Hughes. Al and I are going to talk about this movie. We're also going to have Mark Metz's Beta Capsule Review and Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland because it's just not another episode of Monster Kid Radio without some amazing contributors adding to the mix. And speaking of other things that make Monster Kid Radio special, at least as far as I'm concerned, is the music. This week, we are featuring a song from the band The Hang Ten Hangmen. They're a surf band based out of Vancouver, BC, up there in Canada. The song is called Hang Ten Hop. It's from their album After the Storm, and it just came out today, June 3rd, when this episode is probably going to be going live. Anyway, go check them out at thehangtenhangmen.bandcamp.com. Check out their six-song release, After the Storm. Check out this song, Hang Ten Hop, at the end of the show in its entirety. Or just go straight to their Bandcamp page and pick up the album and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. You can also find them at their website, thehangtenhangmen.com. Okay, let's get into this week's episode of the podcast. As I mentioned in the show notes, in addition to talking about this movie, there's a few other things that come up in conversation. Quite a few things. Some things are related, some things really aren't, but it's always a good time when I get to talk about monster movies and just hang out with my friends, and I hope you enjoy, well, this. This is Vincent Price. I've been involved in many blood-chilling films like The House of Wax and The Fly, but never have I played in a more terrifying shocker than my new picture, The House on Haunted Hill. It's a story guaranteed to make you shudder with fright. See The House on Haunted Hill, if you dare. Beyond the bright lights, the innocent pleasures, there lies another world. The sinister world of Dr. Diablo. The real torture god. It is not for the faint of heart. No, what you find there will be more terrifying, more horrendous than your deepest, darkest dreams. <laughs> Who has the courage to try it? You, Jack Palance. Have you the courage to face what the fates have in store for you? You, Burgess Meredith, as the devil incarnate. What horror will you next reveal? You. Beverly Adams, what lies beyond your dreams to bedevil your future? 
The Torture Garden. Many people walk the length of its terror. No. This is the writer who shields the secrets of immortality. Did you know that there are ways to raise the dead? The rich man who'd sooner part with his life than his wealth. The money. The torture garden. It's where the devil calls the tune to play a concerto of fear. There's a man out there with, with his head all... No! You are trapped. See, I promised you horror, and I intend to keep that promise. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. The Ultra Guard's objective is clear. They are to destroy Earthquake Epicenter X in Episode 20 of Ultra 7. A pair of young women participating in a road rally are distracted by a bright flash of light. Stopping to investigate, they discover a heavy pink mineral just before an earthquake strikes. Captain Kiriyama sends for the help of cantankerous professor of seismology, Dr. Iwamura, but he rebuffs the request, preferring to conduct his own study with the help of his assistant, Sakaki. Anne and Dan attempt to ask for the professor's help a second time, but he has already left for the mountains. So the two trace his steps and encounter the road rally ladies who are hiding from an intimidating growling sound. Together, they happen upon Dr. Iwamura and Sakaki, and in the course of conversation, the professor notices the pink rock still in the women's possession. He identifies the mineral as altonium, a substance found at the Earth's core, suggesting that it must be related to the earthquakes. The Ultra Guard's burrowing tank, the Magma Riser, is ordered into operation, but it gets stuck in a cavity filling with magma, trapping Dan, Furuhashi, and Amagi. Meanwhile, on the surface, Dr. Iwamura is accused of suspicious activity just before the real source of the earthquakes roars to life. Destroy Earthquake Epicenter X feels like a companion piece to the previous episode, Project Blue, in the sense that it was filmed on location in the mountains of Japan. Viewers are once again treated to an extended Ultra 7 Kaiju battle that concludes with a brutal use of the eye slugger. From an Ultra Universe perspective, episode 20 is distinguished by the debut of Alien Shoplay, a humanoid gold-suited villain who controls magma monster Giradoris. Shopley has reappeared in numerous Ultra movies and series, such as Mega Monster Battle, Ultraman X, Ultraman Orb, Ultraman Jeed, and Ultraman Taiga New Generation Climax. But the highlight of Episode 20 just might be the curmudgeonly character Dr. Iwamura, played by Yoshio Yoshida. Yoshida was a versatile actor with well over a hundred on-screen roles to his credit, appearing in the original Gamera, 
Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, installments of the popular Zatoichi the Blind Swordsman series, Yokai Monsters 100 Monsters, numerous period pieces and gangster movies, and the 48-film Torasan series, which holds the Guinness World Record for the longest-running movie series starring a single actor. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. The greatest classic monster conference ever, Monster Bash, is happening June 24th, 25th, and 26th at the Marriott Pittsburgh North, nestled in the beautiful green hills north of the city. Vendors of classic monster merchandise will be featured with over a hundred tables of fantastic collectibles. Find the stuff your mom threw out years ago. Guests of honor at Monster Bash that you can meet and get autographs from include Hammer's Caroline Monroe, the son of John Wayne, actor Patrick Wayne, the cast from the 1970s TV show Land of the Lost, Wesley Ure, Kathy Kloman, and even a Sleestack. Plus, Beverly Washburn from Spider Baby, One Step Beyond, and Old Yeller. Pittsburgh special effects wizard, actor, and director Tom Savini. Jeremy Ambler from TV's The Walking Dead. John Russo from the original Night of the Living Dead. And TV horror host Son of Ghoul, Drac, and Countess Corita, Mr. Lobo, and more. Over 1,000 fans of classic monster movies, just like you, will call Monster Bash home this June. A film fest, question and answer sessions with the stars, wall-to-wall vendors, and all the classic monster excitement you can take. Go to monsterbash.us now for details. That's monsterbash.us. And join fans from across the country. It's the Monster Bash. This is the voice of a woman dreaming of her lover. Please, darling, let me close. I love you so much. And this... A woman having a nightmare. Let me out! What are dreams? What do they mean? When you dream, you wander into another world where everything is strange and terrifying. When you dream, you too become a Nightwalker. The Nightwalker brings Robert Taylor and Barbara Stanwyck together again in the film Shocker of the Year. Yes, I do have a lover. Tell me his name. I wish to God I could, but he's only a dream. And now, a warning from producer William Castle. Our new picture, The Nightwalker, may force you to dream of things you're ashamed to admit. If you can't stand your own dreams, don't see The Nightwalker. The Nightwalker. killer breeds a strain of giant bees that can kill a human being on command. The police don't believe him. Fellow reckons he developed a strain of killer bees. Fantastic. But these people know this terrifying buzzing sound is the last they will ever hear. The beautiful television star on a rural holiday entangled in an incredible scheme, the rival beekeepers. This bee is not only twice as big, but lethal. The jealous, wealthy wife. What are you doing? You must be mad! Leave me alone! 
innkeeper who fears for his daughter's life. And I think you should stop going up to the Hargrove farm. I'm sorry, Dad. I'm going. The agent who is interested in 10% of the action. And what could possibly link the birds and the bees? Thousands of angry bees driven by a madman's secret formula. To swarm. To attack. To kill. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today's movie, The Legend of Hell House, was briefly mentioned in an article about its author, Richard Matheson. It appeared in FM 179 from November of 1981. Let's learn a little bit about this prolific writer of many of our favorites. Vampires, ghosts, haunted houses and sorcerers. Robots, spaceships, fanatical fiends and killers. A house with an usher, a pit with a pendulum. A very diverse collection of things and beings uncanny, wouldn't you say? Yet they all have one thing in common. They have all been schemed, plotted and written about by Richard Matheson, the man whose novel became the genesis of Universal's 1957 sci-fi classic The Incredible Shrinking Man. You've also seen other memorable titles based on this popular author's work, including... The Night Stalker with Barry Atwater. The Omega Man with Charlton Heston. Master of the World with Vincent Price, and several Twilight Zone and Star Trek episodes too. Richard Matheson was born on February 20, 1926. He fought in World War II in France and Germany and began writing stories of fantasy and horror soon afterward. His first published story, Born of Man and Woman, saw print in 1949 in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Within seven years, Matheson began writing for the movies. The article continues with looks at The Incredible Shrinking Man, Matheson's work with Rod Serling's Twilight Zone, and other TV productions, and his script for Roger Corman's House of Usher and Pit and the Pendulum. It also mentions his work on Master of the World, Burn Witch Burn, Tales of Terror, Comedy of Terrors, and The Raven. After a brief look at some unfilmed scripts, the article continues with mentions of The Last Man on Earth, based on Matheson's novel, I Am Legend, his work on Star Trek, Omega Man, and the classic Spielberg TV movie, Duel. The 70s has him working again with Rod Serling on Night Gallery, before his next theatrical film, which is today's subject. Meanwhile, one-time American international president James H. Nicholson had left his 20-year-old company in the capable hands of Samuel Z. Arkoff, and ventured out to form a new independent company, Academy Pictures. Academy's first and only film was The Legend of Hell House, which Matheson scripted, adapting the screenplay from his own novel of shrieks, shocks and shudders, Hell House, first published in 1971. Rather than risk an R rating, Nicholson asked Matheson to tone down the script so that the picture could get a more liberal PG and thereby make more money. Consequently Matheson had to dilute the substance of his novel and the result seemed to many viewers somewhat bloodless. Nevertheless, the Legend of Hell House contains enough chills and frights to make for an entertaining excursion into eeriness. The article concludes with looks at TV movies The Stranger Within and Trilogy of Terror, before mentioning his latest film at that time, Somewhere in Time. 
That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. From the author of Psycho comes the ultimate in sheer bone-chilling horror. The house that drip blood, 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 blood. Terror waits for you in every room in the house that drip blood. Climb its creaking stairs. Walk down its dark and chilling corridors where untold horrors wait at every turn. The house that drip blood. A madman lurking on the staircase. A severed head in the closet. Coffins in the cellar. Vampires, vixens, and victims. You'll find them all in The House That Drip Blood. In color from the Cinerama Releasing Corporation. Rated GP. All ages. Parental guidance. Psychopath, psychopath, six he must slay, crushing the first in a devilish way. Psychopath, psychopath, five is a game of violent death with a scorching flame. Psychopath, psychopath, leaving no clue. What man can guess what next you will do? Looks like another case of looking for a needle in a haystack, sir. That dog's our needle. Psychopath, psychopath, a tortured scream before the knife's descending gleam. Psychopath, psychopath. Poisons the game for the man who knows your unknown name. Psychopath, psychopath, still on the loose, bearing the hangman's deadly noose. So there was one. The two. None, sir. Psychopath, psychopath. Ominous fright. Threats of sticks of dynamite. Days without end of warning so chill. If you don't kill tonight, then tomorrow you will. How have you been, man? I've been pretty good, thanks, Derek. Yeah, it's um, managing to get outside and do a few more things than I did at the beginning of the year. And it's been a, it's been a really, really warm uh, autumn so far. So, yeah, I've been making the most of that. How, how about you? Sounds like your life has taken a turn for the better. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. great. It's really good. I'm really thrilled, thrilled to hear it. No, things are going really well, man. Things are going really well. I'm so pleased. Yeah. This would be a badass year. So 
I, I really think that it will be, you know, with, with the world hopefully slowly getting better, your personal situation a, a, a lot better as well, I think. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. We're getting back up to full powered Derek. <laughs> full powered. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> I'll take it. Why not? <laughs> oh, man. No, uh, things are going really well. Things are going really well. So, mm. yeah. And you're you're uh, knocking it out of the park with Hammerama, which is pretty awesome. Oh, thanks, Derek. And Steve said that you do the bulk of the editing on that, right? I do, I do. Right on. And right on. I'm to totally inspired by 1951 Downplays. It was the first podcast that I ever listened to where you actually used background music and bought in, you know, excerpts, whether they were TV ads or whatever. Oh. First podcast I ever heard that, that that did that, and I thought, I wonder how he does that. So, um, yeah, this has been my chance to find out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're doing a good job, man. Thank you. You're doing a good job. Thank, so. thank you, Derek. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. Steve, Steve, Steve asked me, and I didn't have a good reason to say no. So we've we've just uh, just edited our fourth episode now. And oh um, wow, look at yeah. you guys. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Right on. Very cool. Let's see. While we're talking, I'm fiddling with all my knobs, making sure everything's working. I thought yeah. you might be. Do you, do, do you want me to keep chundering on, or are you getting huh? all the sound I think, you need? I think we're going to be okay. I think we're going to oh, be that's okay. Great. So. I'm, I'm, I'm actually using a microphone, Derek, which I haven't used before. I don't know if that's affecting your... You sound great, so. Oh, good, good, great. So, yeah, that would oh, make you a change. Good to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now come on. <laughs> no, no, you sound good, man. You sound good. So, thank you. Okay, trying to get some semblance of notes up here. I really don't have any, but. <laughs> just to have like the the information like the the casting oh, crew so i mean know. you you you've only just seen the movie i think haven't you uh in fact i just finished it that's why i wanted a few extra minutes oh. to make sure i could finish it up so this Great. is brand new super fresh ah. wow. i was gonna watch it last night before going to bed but one ghost movies mess with me and two <laughs> <laughs> i was having a, a kind of a writing powwow with a, a buddy of mine last night oh, I'm a little late so right. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Love the movie poster to this. The movie poster is awesome. Oh, me too. Me too. Yeah, this all happened at a funny kind of tra transition with horror, but, you know, we can talk about that. For sure. All right. Let's see here. You know, when you first brought it up, uh, I you know, I hadn't seen it before, and mm. hot and house movies get to me, and, and mm, I yeah. like that. Uh you know, and I think I've talked about this when I had Kevin on a few weeks back to talk about the innocence. Yes. I watch a lot of monster movies. I watch a lot of stuff that would quote unquote be scary, but they yeah. don't scare me because I don't know mm -hmm. if it's because I know how they they're made or overexposure or or what. I enjoy them yeah. a lot and and probably love them more than a lot of people who just quote unquote get scared by these things. But it takes a lot to really kind of get under my skin, and for whatever mm -hmm. reason. Haunt, a good haunted house or a good ghost story messes with me and I yeah. wanted that. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. Plus, it's Roddy McDowell, and I would love to see him do more. So I haven't oh. seen a lot with him. I've seen you know, Planet of the Apes, I think, about Roddy McDowell, you know, of course. But yes. he's done so much more stuff out there that I'm not familiar with, so it was exciting to dive into that as well. I've listened to a really wide range of podcasts about this particular film, which I yeah. like to do after I've recorded my, my own thoughts. And universally, no matter how old or young or what, gender the person is people seem to universally love roddy mcdowell i mean he he's just one of those people who you can't dislike he's fantastic yeah yeah you know so but here we are about to get into podcast mode and i haven't even oh, yes. started playing <laughs> that's, so that's, let, why, that's why we're here yeah yeah, yeah let's <laughs> let me dive into that all right here we go we're gonna officially start now uh, <laughs> in three, two, one. This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. All right, listeners, and, and I haven't decided if I'm going to use the uh, preamble, the pre-recording chit-chat or not in this week's episode, but I was just telling this week's guest that I've been looking forward to talking about this movie ever since he brought it up, because ghost stories, haunted house stories, that's the one subgenre of monster movies that can still scare me when they're done well. And oh man, I'm so glad I watched this this morning instead of waiting till last night. <laughs> I'm watching it last night. Oh, boy, because this one's a good one. But, of course, this week's guest, Alistair Hughes, already knows that because he recommended it. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you so much, Derek. And I'm so glad you enjoyed the movie, if if enjoyed is actually the right word. Um, oh, it is. I'm going to go back uh, and good, watch it good. again. I, you know, like I said, they get to me, but in a good way. And uh, I'm excited to kind of dive into this now and learn more about its making you know, what was going on or, you know, the production design is just fantastic. That house is great. The cinematography is fantastic. The performances are amazing. I want this Blu-ray in my collection. It is on Blu-ray, I assume. I want it this Blu-ray in my collection. Uh, it's definitely what I'm going to go back to. I'm so glad that you enjoyed it, Derek. I think, um, as we were discussing before, we, we love our monster movies, but mm -hmm. um, haunted house stories, ghost stories give you that particular adrenaline spike which um i don't know may maybe it's like a drug it sort of keeps that makes me keep coming back to these sorts of movies to give me that particular sort of um feeling of terror yeah and it's it's a delicious feeling that i mm. i'm glad that i'm able to still find uh, you know i think a lot of us were drawn to these horror movies because we like being scared right i mean that's part of the deal exactly and exactly it's, it's so hard to get that scared feeling for me anyway until something like this comes along 
Yeah, and um, it's it's maybe I mean obviously we'll talk about it later, but it's it's sadly maybe a kind of experience which doesn't exist so much anymore for for various reasons. I I love my old school horror. I love mm-hmm. my old school ghost stories, and sure. Uh, this is definitely a great example of of uh, one of those for sure, and it's it's certainly you know rooted in the seventies as well. You get a lot of the seventies isms when it comes to genre and horror and all that, and even some of the sexual stuff happening beneath the surface in this is very seventies. But there's a, a timelessness to it as well that I really enjoyed. That I think is what part of what made this movie hold up for me. I think I think you're absolutely right, Derek. And sort of, um, this isn't something I'm going to dwell on too much because it's very easy to get distracted by it. But of course, most people know that Richard Matheson uh, adapted the screenplay from his own novel, Hell House. Yeah, um, which is a lot more salacious. Uh, really? Than the, oh, much much more. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, it, its content is quite extreme, and I'm pleased that Matheson decided to go the way to, that he did with the screenplay because there's enough in there to imply uh, certain events, which he describes in uh, quite uncomfortable detail oh, on no. the written page. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, Derek. It might be something you want to take a look at. Um, personally, I, I downloaded um, the novel in audio form. Okay. And uh, yeah, that was an experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I could have uh, my, my wish come true regarding that, I would love to listen to an audiobook. I know it's impossible, but I want Roddy McDowell to read it to me. Oh. That would be amazing. <laughs> That would make it, wouldn't it? Oh, I, yes. I, I know that's not likely, and that's not going to happen, but boy, that would have been fun. His, um, I really enjoy all, all four actors for, for different reasons. But oh, yeah. The performance that Roddy McDowell gives here is, is really quite incredible, and, and I appreciate it more every time I watch it. But um, just in terms of his voice, he really just, does typify the transatlantic voice <laughs> like yeah, he nobody does. else. <laughs> uh, I, I have heard him uh, do readings of Lovecraft. Oh, wow. There, there is a, an, an album that came out at one point, just Roddy McDowell reads the horror stories of H.P. Lovecraft, and it's fantastic. Oh, that would you know, be incredible. read things like The Outsider or The Hound. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would love to hear him read this. I, I know it's not going to happen, but... I don't know, maybe AI will get to the point where we can have the audio equivalent of a deep fake where somebody feeds in. <laughs> Let's hope All so. The, yeah. I mean, they're kind of doing it anyway, right? With like Luke Skywalker appearing in the Boba Fett show or whatever. But yeah, I'd love to see that or hear That's that. That's very true. And, and and if there's a list somewhere of, of the top 10 or top 20 voices that need to be recreated, Roddy McDowell should definitely oh. be on that list. It's so good. But it it's never... Hey, I'm listening to Roddy McDowell. He's still able to create character through his voice. Yeah. Not once was I watching this thinking, that's the guy from Planet of the Apes. I, I never thought that. This whole time I'm thinking, okay, this is just a phenomenal performance by a phenomenal actor. Uh, I, I um, entirely agree. And it's interesting, two two of the actors, uh, 
Roddy McDowell and P- Pamela Franklin were obviously child stars. Mm-hmm. And and as child stars seem to do, they, they seem to retain a sort of youthful look through the rest of their lives. And Roddy McDowell is playing a character who first visited the Belasco mansion when he was a teenager, when he was a really gifted uh, psychic teenager. And as he mentions during the film, he was the only one to survive with his with his sanity uh, intact. So the fact that he's referencing these things that happened to him as a child, because of um, Roddy's still quite youthful-looking face, you can sort of see that character in him. It's um, hmm. it's a it's a depiction which, as you say, Derek, you can one hundred percent believe in. It's a amazing performance. That's something I hadn't considered, but you're right. I I remember watching it. Well, I just got done watching it this morning. So while I'm watching it, and I know at the very beginning of the film they make reference to he was the only person who survived the last encounter with the house. Yeah. But I had kind of forgotten until it comes out ag- again later in the dialogue that yeah he survived it, but. He was a teenager when he survived it. He's been living with this experience within him exactly. for years, but he exactly. still has this kind of, oh, oh, I'm getting goosebumps, man. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh. Uh, so I haven't even mentioned the title with you. I'm sure I mentioned it at the top of the show. It's The Legend of Hell House. Mm. Uh, it came out in the 70s. So, you know, we're dipping into the 70s again, 1973. So this movie's as old as I am. Wow. Um, yeah. And it's just one I'd never seen before. It's never been on my radar. I, I think I considered it at one point after reading I Am Legend for the first time. It's like, I should read more Matheson. I just never got around to it. Oh, he's he's, he's an astonishing writer. And obviously, oh, yeah. it's one of those people who we've all experienced, whether we realize it or not, because his work has been so widely adapted and, and continues to be mm-hmm. adapted. Um. Yeah, astonishing uh, writer. And The Legend of Hell House sort of suffers by by comparison with um, a couple of other haunted house stories. One of them, which you just you discussed just a couple of weeks ago, um, mm. the the Innocence, of course, is an adaptation of the Turn of the Screw, mm-hmm. which um, Hell House is often compared to. But more specifically, it's often compared to The Haunting of Hill House or the film version The Haunting. Yeah. And when I mentioned this to my girlfriend last night, it's like, you know, I love hanging out with you. I'd love to spend the morning with you, but I've got to watch The Legend of Hell House. Don't you mean Hill House? No. Exactly. Hell House. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Even even the name, um, it's difficult to not default to Hill House. Mm-hmm. which does cast a shadow over it. But um, Richard Matheson, as much as he admired these stories, he admired them very much. He felt that um, they were perhaps a little bit too subtle um, because everything was implied rather than shown. When he went to write his novel, Hell House, he decided that he was going to put the psychic phenomena up front and show that it was very real, that there was no way that anyone would think it was just imagined, and that it was very, very dangerous. So yeah. that was what he had in mind when when he wrote this story. That's another thing that I really liked about this movie. Uh, I, I talk about 
my love for like the seventies supernatural investigative type stories, you know, or, or movies that just accept the psychic phenomenon. It's just kind of a thing. Uh, yeah. the TV movie yeah. baffled with Leonard Nimoy. I love the TV mm -hmm. show, the sixth sense I love. And this one just accepts, yeah, there's spooky stuff happening. Go figure it out. There's it, none it, of this disbelief. Well, for the most part, we don't have to, as an audience, accept that this may not be real. And I enjoyed that too. Yes, me too. And um, it's interesting you, you say that everyone accepts it. They certainly do, but they accept it from two different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, which gives this movie uh, an awful lot of its tension. It's one of the main themes that underpins this movie, and and mm -hmm. I really I really enjoy it. Roddy McDowell and Pamela Franklin, who I've already mentioned, play mediums, psychic mediums. Mm -hmm. Roddy McDowell is Benjamin Franklin Fisher, who is uh, described as a physical medium, and Pamela Franklin is uh, Florence Tanner, who is described as a mental medium. So between the two of them, they manifest different phenomena. They they are able to contact the spirit world in different ways. The other two members of the team are Dr. Lionel Barrett, who's played with magnificent arrogance. Oh, he's great. By Clive Revel, who, and I'm, I'm going to pop this in now. Um, I love Clive Revel because he's a Kiwi even though he has flawless received pronunciation uh, a flawless received pronunciation british accent he is a kiwi went to school not too far away from where i used to live oh wow um, okay yeah and being a star wars fan derek oh yeah you may recall that clive revel voiced a particular character before the new edition edited him out yeah <laughs> He he was robbed, man. <laughs> he was. He was. Uh, Pre-special edition Palpatine. Absolutely. And uh, even listening to Clive Revel's voice in this film, <laughs> he really was perfect casting. <laughs> really was. Um, his wife, Anne, played by Gail Honeycutt, um, isn't a researcher herself. She's um, she's married to Lionel, obviously, but she comes along as his assistant, uh, despite him warning her to maybe give this particular one a miss. She uh, insists on coming. Now, the Barretts uh, approach psychic phenomena from a completely scientific point of view. Mm -hmm. they, they believe that the phenomena that is manifested is not uh, a surviving personality or surviving personalities, but it's shapeless, formless, mindless energy, which is emanated by all living creatures. Hmm. Just having mentioned Star Wars, it sounds like... I was like going to say, we're... we're oh, it's, it's, as long as you don't mention midichlorians, I think we'll be okay. Not, I promise. I promise. I won't. <laughs> it binds the galaxy together. Uh -huh. And um, <laughs> they believe that it is a uh, physical phenomena that they can counteract with technology. It's interesting. They are proto-ghostbusters, really. Yeah. Uh, they come in with their technology and they believe that they can cleanse the house, not through not through psychic means, but through scientific means. So, yeah, this sets up a lot of the tension between our, our four main characters. I love even just the way it's set up. 
with the 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 older guy with the money. He's like, okay, um, next week you're gonna prove whether or not life after death is real. Go for it. And there's it's no nonsense kind of. This is what you're gonna do. Mm-hmm. It's not a hey, I'm looking for somebody to do. No, nope. I'm hiring you to do this. Go. <laughs> yeah. Go. Yeah. He, okay. He, um, <laughs> and, and and he gives them one week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't need my. Yeah. You know, just determine whether or not ghosts are real. You've got a week. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> but I do I like think... the approach. I do like that they come at it from this scientific point of view. This reminds me of my favorite John Carpenter film, Prince of Darkness, where they go into this spooky church and all the scientific equipment is there. But is there a spiritual thing happening too? You know, and I love that. Me too. And I think John Carpenter is is another one of those American director who I think is very strongly influenced uh, by Brit horror. Oh, by, sure. By British horror directors. And uh, who, who knows? Uh, maybe he was influenced by the uh, legend of Hell House. Um, a, a wonderful anecdote that I came across was um, involving Martin Scorsese, who, oh. might, who might not be a fan of Marvel, but he, <laughs> loves, <laughs> but he loves his British horror, particularly Hammer films. And um, apparently when um, British director Edgar Wright was in lockdown, um, one of his own movies had stalled mm-hmm. and he ended up having an email conversation with Martin Scorsese. And he asked Scorsese to send him a list of his favorite British movies. And on that list was The Innocence, which, as I say, you discussed recently. Nice. But also on that list, I think at number 10, was The Legend of Hell House. And Edgar Wright said that um, he, he knew about the film and obviously he knew about The Innocence. And uh, he describes them like this. He says, The Innocence is quiet and restrained, whereas The Legend of Hell House is like getting hit round the head with a brick. I so, I think that's pretty spot on. <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man has scorsese <laughs> ever done a flat-out horror or ghost story i don't think he ever has has he off off the top of my head derek i don't think so which is kind of interesting because he he, he loves the genre but i'd love to see it he, marty yeah. give me a call let's make a monster well, movie <laughs> yeah let's do it oh <laughs> uh, it'd be great it would it really oh, would wow oh that's fantastic though that that this and you know, some of these other classics turn up on a list like that. Um, Isn't it? I could re- I could see this being on my top 10 ghost stories. No question. Oh, wow. No question. Oh, I'm so, oh, I'm so, so um, pleased to hear that. I always worry just a little tiny bit when somebody's like, let's talk about, about this movie. And I've heard about it, but never saw it. It's like, you mm-hmm. know, is it something I'm going to like? You know, I hope I like it because I don't want to have a situation where I, I just tore apart somebody or was disappointed by somebody's favorite movie. But... This one delivered, and I'm so glad. Really delighted to hear that, Derek. I mean, I I hope people don't mind if we give a glimpse behind the curtain and say that you've literally just finished watching it. Yes, and literally uh, for sure. So, so sometimes, sometimes things take a while to sink in. You might not be blown away by something, you know, when you're coming out of the cinema, but when you reflect on it, you start to appreciate it more. But um. I'm really glad it's made a, it's made a, an instant impression on you. It's certainly made an impression on me 
the first time I saw it. Yeah. And I was way too young. I, I shouldn't have been allowed to stay up and watch this movie by myself. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about it that still really, really creeps me out is the soundtrack. Ooh. Which, yeah. I thought this was something you'd particularly want to talk about. The soundtrack, of course, is, is done by De Delia Derbyshire and Brian Hodgson. And the reason that those names mean a lot to me, but possibly not so much to you, Derek, is that they worked together in the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. Oh, and okay. they produced um, the, they r realized the theme for Doctor Who and went on to produce a lot of the sound effects and, and soundscapes. Wow. Um, they they were incredibly experimental. And this really comes across in this film. When when the film opens, there's a there's a there's a drum beat, almost like African tribal drums, going on for it must be maybe the first ten minutes or so. It's just behind behind the, the um dialogue. And the reason I think it's there is, is, is it's the same reason that your neighbor's stereo being a little bit too loud. <laughs> it's, 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 that, it's that bass beat just in the background, which has this, has this um, ability to sort of subtly unnerve you and put you on edge. And apparently that's the purpose behind the tribal drums. This constant drumbeat has this effect of of unnerving and unsettling your enemy from a long distance. Sure. So you're watching the setup of the film, but at the same time you've got this do 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 sound in the background, and and it's and it's sort of it's winding you up without you even realizing that it's happening. But more specifically. The reason the soundtrack really gets me is that it, re, it prefigures the phenomenon of uh, electronic voice phenomena. Yes. Which you know what I'm talking about, obviously. Yep. Yeah. Where apparently disembodied entities uh, can manifest a, a voice, which often isn't heard by the human ear. It's really only heard when a recording is, is played back. If you ever want to drive yourself insane, stay up late at night listening to actual EVP recordings. But I, <laughs> I really, I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. And this film uses that. There's very quiet, very whispered little bits of dialogue from, from the house itself, which sometimes you don't even pick up. But the last time I watched this film, I actually watched it with the subtitles. And the subtitles, <laughs> I'm not sure if I appreciate them going to this trouble, but the subtitles actually spell out all of the little disembodied voices for you, just oh, to make no. sure that you have missed them. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yes. So, uh, my, my own personal beliefs regarding ghosts and all that, I don't think they're real. You know, I have some whatever thoughts regarding all that. That said, that didn't stop me from watching the bevy of ghost hunting shows that turned up on things like the sci-fi channel you know years ago and so evp stuff you know when it's done right it can creep me out electronic oh, yes. voice phenomena uh 
Yes. I don't know if we said that or not, but that's what that is. It's, you know, the idea that there are voices or sounds or noises that can be picked up by recording devices or devices not uh, connected to a human being. So like recordings, things like that. And there are plenty of examples of, are they real? Are they fake? Doesn't matter. Yeah. They're still creepy EVP videos on YouTube, that sort of thing. And as an audio guy, you know, as a sound guy, oh man, when somebody uses that in a film or, or a television production or even an, uh, an audio drama, you know, I listen to a lot of audio dramas. Mm. Um, when that is done well, it is spooky. And this movie does that. And at one point it even it kind of does this fake out like, Oh, wait a minute. Is it really just a record? Somebody is playing over here. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Then how, how'd the record get started then if it was a record? So, you know, we, we explain it away, but then we make the mystery even deeper by who started the record in the first place. I didn't do it, you know? So even then they kind of play with the, the some of the tropes that you get with some of these horror movies or ghost stories. That's a, that's a really, really good point. And I, I should probably just say in case, People think I'm some kind of fanatic. I'm, I'm only talking about things like EVP as a as a as a matter of fact kind of way. It, it's not my. It's not necessarily reflecting my personal beliefs. Oh sure, sure, sure. I'm I'm. Although I I will say that I'm pretty open minded about this stuff, and I have actually seen in my lifetime what you would call a ghost. But that's really that's a story for another time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh man. That's, so. And this is how you guarantee you come back onto Monster Kid Radio, listeners. <laughs> you drop something like that, and they're like, "But yeah, we'll talk about that some other time." Yeah, th that's how you guarantee you become a repeating guest. So, so. Excellent. It worked. It worked. Um, <laughs> yes, the <laughs> the scene with the record player is is great, and for you and I, Derek, it has an added level of enjoyment because, of course, we probably recognize the voice straight straight away. Oh yeah, and it's a, it's 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 an actor who appears in many of the films that we we enjoy, mm -hmm. and sometimes he's a butler for Batman, <laughs> and he appears again in the film. But I don't think is he uncredited. I don't know. Um, the Internet Movie Database says that he is. Okay. I don't remember. Um, and I purposely tried to stay away from a lot of the making of behind the scenes stuff when I dove yeah, into this. So yeah. I don't know. And I don't think I knew he was going to be in it. Yeah. Until I heard the voice and I thought, okay, that sounds very familiar. <laughs> and then the, he turns up at the end and is like, oh, oh, that's exactly, the guy. <laughs> exactly. Many listeners might might realize who we're talking about. We're talking about Michael Goff, of course. Oh, um, such a great actor, too. He, and, he is a great actor. Oh. And, and so that gives this film one of its extra twists, that they have a heavyweight name like Michael Goff, but he isn't really active, at least on the physical realm. So... Let's just leave it there, shall we? Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I know I played the spoiler warning and all that, but there are some neat little twists in here that I do want to leave vague, and that's a good one Excellent. to leave vague. Um, but yeah, when he, when he turns up uh, at the end and it was confirmed for me, oh, wait a minute, that was the voice. Mm -hmm. well, I got chills again. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to talk too much about the, the, the ending, but I'm really glad that it involves... Um, someone as instantly recognizable and he has screen presence without even doing doing 
anything. So he was he was a fantastic choice. Sure. But but while while um while the phenomena um in the Belasco mansion isn't being represented by a person, I think the house itself is doing a pretty damn good job. And it is so beautifully textured and opulent. It's, it's, it's one of these films where on repeated watchings, I find my eyes sort of wandering around looking at what's going on behind the actors and behind the main action because that house is just gorgeous. It really is. It's one of the most be beautifully dressed haunted houses I think I've ever seen in a, in a movie. It looks fantastic, and because they're doing some really effective, creepy, you know, spook out, spooky kind of mo uh, moments in this thing, where you see the silhouette of somebody's shadow, but when you open the door, there's nothing there. Oh. You're kind of tricked into having to watch the background, having yes. to take this stuff in, because, well, if they did that there, what's going to happen over here? Your eyes just kind of start taking in more details, and I think you really need to, but that's... yeah. That's part of the charm, and I thought the set was great. One of the questions in the Classic Five, which we'll get to here in a little bit, oh, if yes. you could have been on production during the, if you could have been on set during the production of a particular movie or whatever, this is one. I would have loved to have played around on that set. Me, me too. And there are things that constantly surprise me about it, Derek. I mean, I'm suspecting that this film didn't have a huge budget. It's uh, basically. It's almost like a sealed room drama. We've we, we've got our four main characters in this hell house. <laughs> um, so the action is very confined. The number of characters is very confined as well. But at the same time, there are things that really surprise me. I mean, I want to jump ahead a bit to my all-time favorite scene. Okay. And you might be able to guess what that is. It's the psychic attack on Lionel Barrett after <laughs> the second seance. You're um, watching this film and you're thinking, okay, it's creepy, but it's kind of it's kind of well behaved and kind of kind of quaint and nothing too outrageous is gonna happen. And then <laughs> and I just love how it continues to escalate. Um, this scene happens after the second seance, which mm -hmm. um, they have with Pamela Franklin's character. And she comes in, they're having their evening meal. She's very agitated and angry that uh, she's being forced to perform under scientific conditions, which, after all, is the whole purpose of the Barretts being there. But nevertheless, her character is very angry, very agitated. And she's in the process of shouting at Dr. Barrett when the wine glass that he's holding explodes in his hand. Now, this is a shocking enough thing to happen, but it is only the beginning <laughs> because <laughs> hell literally breaks loose with everything on that table and in that room telekinetically trying to kill him. And it ends with this huge gout of flame just roaring out of the fireplace and just missing him. Now, I, I, I watch this scene and there are practical effects that I still wonder, how the hell did they do that? There's an overhead view of the table 
and it's leaping up and down, crashing up and down, and everything on top of it is obviously it's falling over. And I remember thinking, that looks really great, but obviously there's just a stagehand underneath the table lifting it up and down. Sure. But then they change to a shot where it's an eye-level shot, and you can clearly see underneath the table. The table's still jumping around, but there certainly isn't any stagehand under there. Now, that's just a throwaway shot. You know, it barely registers and it didn't even need to be included. But nevertheless, it adds total authenticity to that scene because you think you know how it's being done. And then mm -hmm. suddenly there's just this cutaway shot that shows you, oh, God, no, no, that's not how they're doing it at all. So um, I just love that attention to detail. It kind of goes back to what I was saying with the hearing the voices and find out it's a record player. Oh, yeah. It says, wait a minute. And then you start <laughs> to realize that. That's not that simple. And it, it goes back to that. You know, you've got mm. this shot that, yeah, it could have just been somebody laying on their back with their feet up on the bottom yep. of the table, pushing exactly. it back, whatever. No, mm. it's it's a little bit more complex than that. Yeah. And that whole sequence, when the wine glass shatters in his hand, I'll, I'll say it, it got a jump scare out of me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I jumped. I jumped. And it yeah. was like nine o'clock in the morning, <laughs> lights, come, sunlight's coming in through the window. I've got a cup of coffee. I'm cozy. I'm warm. Everything. Nope, it got me. <laughs> it got me. I knew it was coming and it still got me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. I mean, I, yeah, there's a little bit of tension here because she's upset and you know, mm. everything. But didn't expect that. Didn't expect yeah. that at all. There's a lot about this movie I didn't expect. Uh, some of the people who do not make it out, I didn't expect. Um, I, I just, Wow. <laughs> Yeah, and and uh, this scene is obviously a, a, a standout, but at, at this point I want to say something about P Pamela Franklin. Okay. Um, as I say, she used to be a child star, as, as most of us know, and she has a very demure, very innocent kind of look about her. She has manga-sized eyes, which are <laughs> she really very does. expressive. Yeah. <laughs> but um, when those eyes turn angry... Suddenly, she's scary. She's she's this little slip of a girl, barely anything to her. But when when she's angry, those eyes are actually quite terrifying to look at. There's a scene a little bit later on in the film where her character, let's just say, has made an extreme sacrifice to try and help a disembodied entity um, leave this mm -hmm. mortal coil to basically free itself. Um, but unfortunately, she is duped. And when the other characters find her, she's lying face down on a bed. She's got terrible injuries on her back. I mean, the... the, um, the the physical trauma makeup in this film is actually is actually quite gruesome. I I I know the early seventies went for that bright bright red blood, but even so, the the trauma effects are actually quite effective. They uh, 100%. they um, yeah yeah they the they turn her over. Now you you're expecting that she might be dead or she might be unconscious or she might have some horrible injury to the front of her body they turn her over and she sits up and 
she just gives this uh, spine-chilling sort of giggle. Um, and it's the most unnerving scene. It really is. It's the last thing you expect. But looking into her face, you know that. Let's just say, to paraphrase Ghostbusters, she's not alone in there. <laughs> and it's really creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that sequence, and I, I talk about the, I'm not going to, I'm going to say gore effects, but it's not overly gory. It's just mm. there's some physical trauma. They never devolve into like having to spell it out to us and that yeah. the where some of the scratches are placed on her body mm -hmm. she could have done it to herself yeah you know yeah. the way it's you know uh, we even have you know the the scientist guy kind of looking and, and noticing where it is on her body and kind of gesturing mm -hmm. but never flat out says oh she did it to herself she yeah. is smart enough to not spell it out for us so that we can kind yeah. of start to think about it a little bit on our own. I think if they had said, oh, she did it to herself, then we'd immediately think, oh, no, that's not true. We, we kind of set off those alarms. In this case, it's still yes. subtle enough to where we're trying to figure it out as well. And I loved watching her performance in this. Yeah. Uh, especially since, you know, she's a little girl from The Innocents. We just talked about exactly. that on the show. Exactly. So, is, she, is she just a haunted person? Does she... <laughs> She just can't get away from the ghosts, man. She she can't. She she just loves those haunted houses. She 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 really does. <laughs> well, to be fair, I don't know if what happens to her in Hell House is something to be loving about, but you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. true. Oh. And uh, what what you were just saying, Derek, about you know the the implication that she could have um, injured her, herself. I think a lot of that credit has to go to Clive Revel's performance. I mean, yes. I've, I've described him as spectacularly arrogant, and mm -hmm. and he is. And I will actually go back on something I said I wasn't going to do. I just want to make a very quick reference to the book. Okay. His, his, his character, Lionel Barrett, it, it transpires that he suffered polio as a child. Oh, and okay. he his his body isn't completely functional, particularly below the waist. So he and his wife are in a fairly loveless sort of relationship, not not through choice, okay, uh, because of misfortune that's happened to him earlier in in his life. Now, this film does depict her frustration. But it's sort of implied that because of the uh, of the psychic attack on on Dr. Barrett, that he's just e exhausted. But he isn't really able to completely function. So their relationship has a lot of underlying frustration in it. Oh, and yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense when you when 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 you find that out about him. Um, so his character is so restrained so sort of buttoned up and so tight and it's not necessarily arrogance it's it's like my my uh, interpretation of it is that because he can't express himself completely physically that he expresses himself mentally intellectually he's almost vulcan in his uh, in his approach to other people 
So although he seems really cold and really uncaring, that's just the way that he expresses um, himself. And the scene which I think really gives his character more dimension than I think most actors would be able to give it is um, there's a scene in their bedroom and after his wife has, uh, let's just say she's been influenced by the house to behave in a way that she wouldn't ordinarily behave. Right. And she's sitting on the bed and she's very, very upset and she's trying to apologize. And he's behind her and you see him leave the shot. Like He hasn't said anything. He's been his usual cold self. And then suddenly he comes back into frame and he sits down beside her on the bed and he puts his arm around her and tells her that it's not her fault. And and I just love that scene because you have this glacial, spectacularly unemotional person, but he manages, he still manages, despite everything, to offer some comfort to um, his wife. And I, I, I really love that scene. Huh. Wow. Um, Sorry, am, am I am I being a bit soppy here? We're supposed no, to be talking about a haunted house. No, it's something, especially when you add what you have told me about the book mm. about his character not being able to perform in certain ways, not being yeah. able to fulfill your husbandly duties or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm. The film still functions without it, but it's one of those situations where where knowing about that just gives it that added that added texture. Yeah. Huh. Okay, I'm gonna read the book. I, I gotta <laughs> read the book. I've gotta read the book. <laughs> it's not an easy read, Derek. I'll I'll just I'll I'm, just say that. And yeah. I and I appreciate the warning. Um but I got to read the book. I, I like Matheson anyway, so I should. Oh, me too. I should. I should read it. His mm. I Am Legend is a masterpiece, and uh, yeah. So we've given love to to the other actors. Um, mm-hmm. Gail Honeycutt obviously doesn't have as much to do as as everyone else, but my God, she still gives an amazing performance. Right. When she is influenced uh, to. Um, interact with Roddy McDowell's character in a way that she wouldn't normally choose to. Wow. Yeah. The performance is really, really, it's, uh, it's, it's erotic and it's frightening. And particularly in the moment where I'll just say he slaps her out of it and she comes back to herself just in those few moments between her, her possessed self and her real real self, when you see the shock on her face when she realizes what she had been doing, that transition, that, that is a, a beautiful piece of acting. Um, once, well, once again, it's one of those subtleties that this film offers that you, that you wouldn't expect to see. There's a lot going on here, and, and part of the reason why I liked it so much is because of the little... The little things that are happening along the way, mm. um, the little performances, the interactions, uh, the relationship or lack thereof uh, of the characters and her experience in the house and Roddy McDowell's character. And mm. yeah, he he slaps her out of it. You know, he snaps her out of it. But there's still kind of a sense of he almost feels responsible yes. for the women yes. being there and how yes. they need to get out of there. There's a line there, and I can't remember the exact line. I should have written it down because it really kind of hit me in the gut. 
you're going to be dead next to your dead wife if yeah. you don't get out of here. And that, yeah. that got me. I was like, oh, oh, yeah. It's um, it's it's interesting. I mean, I've I've talked about the other three characters, but I'm really building up to Roddy McDowell's performance. Oh, he's so good. He 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 starts the film. He's closed off. He's only giving two or three word answers to to questions, and he's closed off for a very good reason. And and that is that that the house almost killed him last time. He's yeah. there for the money. He he just wants to stay there, do as little as possible, keep himself closed off from the house, and then at the end of the week, collect his money. That's the only reason that he's there. But as events escalate, he becomes more and more proactive until finally, in that final scene, we get McDowell dialed up to 11. We get the full Roddy, man. <laughs> and it is a sight to see. The uh -huh. um, house might be uh, a supernatural force, but Roddy McDowell dialed all the way up is a force of nature. And yeah. it is just wonderful. Oh, he's great. Um, there's almost a sense of glee, too, towards the end when yeah. they think they've gotten... They think they've gotten away with it. They think they've mm. won. Mm -hmm. You know, the he's told, you know, open yourself up. Finally open yourself up. You'll see. It's fine. And he disappears for a little while as he's kind of exploring. And yeah. when he comes back, he's got this this look of it's gone. It's yeah. gone. I'm fully open. It's gone. This house is clean. Well, mm -hmm. there's still a few more minutes left in the movie, Roddy. Let's not get too excited. And and, and it reminds me of of, of another film, a Steven Spielberg film. Well, it's not a Steven Spielberg film. It's a Toby well, Hooper film. Depends or on who you it? talk to. Yeah. <laughs> Where that same line is said, this house is clean. But we know from that film that when someone says that, don't believe them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> God, I haven't watched that movie in forever either. But that one, you know, if I have to go back to the reason why these kinds of movies get to me, I blame that movie. Mm. Poltergeist is the one that broke me. Uh -huh. And it's interesting. It's, I can almost tell you ex exactly when it happened uh, in the film. Uh, I was flipping through channels one day because it was rated PG for some reason. <laughs> for uh, some it reason. Was, it was playing on mid day cable television it might have mm -hmm. not cable but like pay cable like a showtime or an hbo or whatever and i was flipping through channels and i landed on poltergeist just as the guy is ripping his face off in the bathroom oh god yes <laughs> i had no idea what i was watching <laughs> i know i was young and my parents were not pleased <laughs> that i managed to stumble across something that i surely shouldn't have been watching at that young of an age i think that might have what opened up that that door for me of yeah haunted house movies bad <laughs> yes and what i love about them and poltergeist typifies it legend of hell house typifies it is that mm -hmm. generally they are slow burns yes and it's the it's the it's the very beginning of the film which i always enjoy the most where you're sort of starting to leave normally accepted reality and that things begin happening very quietly, very subtly, but you know through the course of the film that they're going to escalate. And mm -hmm. uh, this this definitely happens here. Happens here as well. Yeah. Now, I 
I am a little grumpy with you. Oh, um, why? Because you could have warned me that I should not watch this with Wednesday. Oh. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I Okay, I'm it, not really grumpy, but, you know, I and, and these things happen. I get it, but it's like, man... <laughs> If I if if I if I can just justify myself there, there, Derek. First of all, the thing that we're talking about, but we're not talking about, you might recall, and probably is it the very last scene. It could be a continuity error, or it could be implying something much more sinister. But you'll see that um, that things are actually okay for that particular four-legged character. Uh, yeah. I don't know. You noticed. Uh, the um, uh, the the other thing is that uh, my wife Rose and I have a strict rule. We mm -hmm. don't like violence against cats. Sure. And if there is a film that involves a scene like that, then we generally don't watch. So I do share your pain. Um, it's not it's not something that I enjoy watching at all. Sure. Um, but the moments leading up to uh, the scene that you might be referring to specifically, where she sees a silhouette in the oh, shower. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, um, no. <laughs> I never used to think about that scene very much. But watching it this time, maybe it's because I'm watching it on Blu-ray. That silhouette in the shower, that's not a living person. Those, those, that arm is clearly far more withered and decayed than a living person's arm would be. And that okay. sort of oh, lank yeah. bit of hair kind of hanging down. It's the first time I've ever realized, no, that's actually, that's not a living person in that shower. It's a creepy scene. Another creepy scene. And I think that really typifies what it is about ghost stories that ghost movies that get to me. I go back to the thing with the guy looking at his, pulling his face off in the mirror, you know, in Poltergeist. It's a reflection. It's real, but not, you know, exactly. it's, it's, it's a reflection of something that could or could not be happening. And I would expand that to including like shadows and silhouettes. It's real, but it isn't. It's representative of something that's real or is it? And so, especially when you do a mirror or a shadow gag in a ghost movie, oh man, uh, I'm giving myself goosebumps again um, because those moments get to me because it's real, but it's not. You see it, but it's not there. But you, do you? But oh, and then to have the the extra added punch of what's really in the shower. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh man, what are you doing to me? Wednesday, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. To, to be fair, she was sleeping. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> I didn't have to shield her eyes. If reflections and shadows creep you out, Derek, then this is probably the worst possible film I could have recommended because this no, film it was is great. full of them. It was great. No, I, yeah. you know, I, I crave this. I look forward to finding movies that still elicit that reaction in me. Uh, it takes a lot. Like I've seen a lot of these movies. Um, I'm not some big, tough, you know, nothing scares me kind of guy. I just, I've mm -hmm. seen a lot of them yeah. and my brain immediately goes to the history of them, how they were made, the people that were involved, why they did it and all that. Yeah. It takes a lot for me to just get sucked into the story and, and wrapped up in what's 
being told to me as a tale versus, wait a minute, how'd they do that? And this is the third time Roddy McDale appeared with this person and the music. Oh, I like the music. <laughs> I wasn't able to pick this movie apart like that while I'm watching it. And I think that for me anyway, is a hallmark of a really good movie because I forget that I'm watching uh, a, a movie from a podcaster's point of view or a reviewer yeah. or a cr critic or whatever it is you call whatever the heck I do is. <laughs> um, I am just a guy watching a movie and it's messing with me and that's great. So I, I may play it up a little bit that I'm grumpy with you about the whole cat thing. I'm not. <laughs> um, yeah, it does affect me on a level that, you know, I'm a cat lover. I'm a cat guy. I'm a cat dad yeah. and proud of it. But at least it wasn't, I don't know, real. I mean, in mm. lower budget productions, <laughs> uh, especially yeah. earlier in the history of Hollywood, may have done something to really scare a cat. At least it wasn't that, you know? Yeah, so exactly. Exactly. No, I'm I'm absolutely on the same page with you with, with you there, Derek. And as I say, maybe a continuity error, but that very, very final scene, I, I, I like to good think point. that's an indication that he's okay. <laughs> there you go. Good point. Good point. This sort of film, and I'm not sure if you or listeners will agree with me or, or, or not, but one of the reasons that I love it so much is that it's uh, represents a transition point as far as I'm as far as I'm concerned from um, the traditional creaky haunted house stories where despite what Matheson intended with his book a lot of it is implication um, a lot of it is uh, it could be real it might not be real this is the early 1970s, just before we were about to get hit in the face with The Exorcist and before horror would change forever. Um, suddenly, grew and gore and more explicitly physical uh, violence would become part of part of mainstream horror and and even haunted house stories. And I think that this film sort of encapsulates that transition point where you have the traditional chills and thrills, but enough of the more modern um, physical trauma just before everything changed, just before the gates got flung open. Mm -hmm. Just before it became masked maniacs and ex-murderers and and gruesome, gruesome physical effects. And I love it for that reason. For for me, it's a little bit of a time capsule. Um, I'd never call this film cozy, but I'm going to anyway, because <laughs> <laughs> for me, it is still a cozy, a cozy experience where a lot of the tension comes from damn good acting and yeah. damn good directing and not necessarily just physical effects. Maybe would, that makes me sound old-fashioned. Maybe that no. makes me sound like a grumpy old man, but that's that's how how I feel. I don't see that as a, a negative um, thing there. I, I agree with you. Uh, people who know my history know that I broke into podcasting, if you want to say that through the zombie movie podcast that I used to do through mail order zombie mm -hmm. and, yeah. and a hallmark of a lot of zombie movies that were coming out at that time. Uh, the name, the reason the podcast was even called mail order zombie is because I was reviewing specifically to begin with anyway, zombie movies. You can only get through the mail, either through 
buying them through Amazon or Netflix. Yes. So that's where the name comes from. Yeah. I now, never knew. It, it changed. You know, the, the, the focus of the show changed over the years, but that's how it started. And mm. back then, the straight-to-DVD or video, or I guess, yeah, straight-to-DVD or Blu-ray zombie movies, they were the modern films that had the special effects gore and all that. And, you know, I was into that. You know, yeah. I, I thought I was going to be a filmmaker when I grew up, and part of that was mm-hmm. because of Tom Savini and, you know, yeah. the special makeup effects and all that. And, and I got a lot of respect for it. Me but, too. But there's something about being able to pull off a movie like this that can really get under my skin without showing, you know, extreme gore or even given some of the subject matter just beneath the surface, sex mm-hmm. and nudity and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Th- there's a, a subtlety to a lot of this movie still that really holds up for me. Um, so, no, I don't think you saying what you said makes you sound old fashioned or, you know, fuddy duddy or whatever, or, or a prude or whatever. I don't know. Not at all. I think part of the reason why this movie works so well is you're able to get the effect that the movie gives us without pulling somebody's top off or showing these extremely graphic, you know, scratches and cuts and, and all that. Yeah. There's some blood. Yeah. Yeah. Some people do die and it's not Mm -hmm. pleasant, but it's not so in your face and exploitive that you can be confused with watching something that was designed to be shown at the grindhouses, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I, 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 I totally agree. And, and, and have, having said that it's maybe an old fashioned view, I'd sort yeah. of like to, to point to Mike Flanagan's recent work mm-hmm, on Netflix mm-hmm where he's readapted Hill House and he's readapted A Turn of the Screw. Mm-hmm. And I've I've thoroughly enjoyed those series. And he I think he's brought back a little bit of what we're talking about, Derek, about the more psychological, more implied aspects of, of horror. Mm-hmm. And I like to imagine that um if Mike Flanagan is casting around for another series along the same lines, that his eye might fall upon this particular movie. Because oh, man, yeah. I can see it. I can really see it. That would be fun. I, I think he is doing another one right now, isn't he? Isn't he mm. doing a third? I'm not sure. But I've I watched so. those two series. I thought they were well done for what they were. Yeah, Yeah, yeah we do have some moments that are... You know, they're set in, they're produced in modern days, so of course the series mm-hmm. are a little different than what we can show on screen. But sure. the things about those movies that get me the most are just the spooky ghost stuff. Me too. You know, the, the ghost of the hanging woman and where she came from. Oh, that sequence alone. Okay. Yeah. You give me a good ghost story, I'm all in. You give me a good ghost story that kind of messes with time a little bit. Yes. And where things are happening in terms of people's timelines, either before or after death. Yes. You're messing with me and you're giving me some nightmare fuel. And that's, I love it. Totally. Hill, Hill House, especially with those damn statues where I'd <laughs> always, has it, has it, has it moved? Did it, did it, it, it didn't look like that before. That gave me a definite Hill, um, Hell House. Yeah. Yeah. I almost, I almost did it myself. That gave me a definite Hell House vibe. And uh, I just think that, you know, if it, did have to be remade if it did have to be adapted then i think mike flanagan would be a safe a safe pair of hands i'd be I'd, i'm there for it 
Mm. I'm there for it. Oh, he is supposedly working on an adaptation of Fall of the House of Usher at this point. Oh, that's right. I remember reading that. Yeah, yes. That yes. could be good too, but it could do be. Hell House next, man. Do Hell House yeah. next. Yeah. Yeah. If you're listening and and and, and I'm sure he is. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Give me a call. I'll do your fully work, do your sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> so um I don't want to talk about the final scene, Derek. It it no. sort of pulls everything together. Uh, I will say that for some people they seem to find it uh, that it comes out of left field, that it hasn't been sufficiently built up to. Really? But what I would say to those people, and you obviously haven't found this, and that's no. a credit to, to you, is that all the clues are there. All the clues are there, um, possibly even more so than the novel which is surprising, but um, the film actually lays out the story, and if you're paying attention, um, it all makes perfect sense. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't see that. I I think mm. it all kind of holds together. Me too. That what you're saying, yeah. I don't see that where somebody would have a problem with it. I see that it all holds together just fine. Yeah. Um, I did make the joke earlier that. You know, Roddy McDowell's running around excited and elated that everything's fine. And, oh, wait a minute. There's still like 10 minutes left. The, 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 no, <laughs> it's not okay. But it still works. The way it all kind of comes together and the ultimate reveal and what happens at the end works for me. Yeah. And um, McDowell certainly earns his paycheck in, the, in those last 10 minutes, I would have to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I agree with you 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I um, I want to watch this again sooner rather than later. That's I music really, to my ears. Really want to show it to my girlfriend. I I don't know if, I mean, she's really into the haunted house thing and all that. Mm. And uh, I was telling you earlier off cam off camera off mic that yeah, she's super involved with the uh, haunted house community here in the Portland area. She designs one of the local haunts, PDX Scaregrounds, is what she's really involved with, and. You know, she she sounds wonderful. Oh, she's amazing, dude. She's so cool. Um, but uh, I, I <laughs> yeah, this could turn into Derek Gushes about his new girlfriend podcast real oh, quick. So I'm just gonna stop. Go for it. Uh, I think she <laughs> would enjoy this. I think people that are into like modern horror can find a lot to enjoy in this mm. because the performances are so strong. The yeah. production design is so well done. Mm -hmm. The music you mentioned the music earlier. Yeah. I didn't know that about the connection to Doctor Who. Like I said, mm. I've said repeatedly on the show before, I'm not a Whovian. Um, yeah. Not not because I'm not interested. Just every time I consider getting into it, there's so much, and it's, a lot. it's not it's yeah. not like they don't stop. So I can't. I'm never going to get caught up. Um, <laughs> my girlfriend loves Doctor Who, so maybe I can use that as a hey, you know, if you like Doctor Who, maybe you know, maybe that'll be my my in, you know, to try to get her in to watch this. Well, uh, I mean, what, what what we fans love to do, Derek, is is put ourselves in a situation where if someone like yourself said, "Okay, pick me one or two stories that you ooh, would use to yeah. introduce me," I mean, it's a it's a very popular mind game that we, who fans love to play. So she might be delighted if you say to her, "Look, just pick a story or pick two stories, and let's see how it goes." Yeah. I keep telling her that she needs to. So she's got some fandoms that I'm not 
part of or into. Mm. She's a mother, you know, so she, oh, great. she, um, you know, her kids are older teens, borderline young adults at this point. So yeah. she was prime, you know, they were prime age for like Harry Potter and things like that, which I've never seen. Yeah. I never yeah. watch any Harry Potter. So Same. I have made the mistake of telling her that she gets to Potter me someday, which sounds a lot dirtier than it does, than it's meant That's to be. Little. Yeah. Uh, but she got a kick out of it, so I'm not going to let it rest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I uh, hope that she also hoos you as well. We'll uh, I'll look forward to hearing how that goes. <laughs> I, I did tell her that if she's going to make, if, if she's going to let me watch some Doctor Who, if she's going to introduce me to some Doctor Who, she's got to watch at least one of the Peter Cushing films with me, because those Absolutely. are the two Doctor Who properties that I have watched totally. and own on Blu-ray and enjoy. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. So it's, a, it's a match made in heaven by by the sounds of things, Derek. Dude, I, mm, I guess that I could go on and on and on. And uh, <laughs> uh, she, she doesn't listen to the podcast, but she has tuned into the stream every once in a while. So I don't mind saying the nice things about her now because I know Brilliant. she's not blushing at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but when she does, she's adorable. Okay, moving on. Anyway. Uh, anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Scary Haunted House movie. Good. Mm. <laughs> uh, Legend of Haunted House is on Blu-ray. It's going to make its way to my wish list. I got to own this thing. I want to play with it more and just kind of explore that world a little bit more. I am going to add the book to my to-read list, even though my to-read list is almost as long as my to-watch pile when I, it comes to I movies. So, mm. You know, if, if, if I didn't have to sleep or earn a living, I would be reading and watching so much stuff. I think that is the secret to life, isn't it? If we could cut out sleep and work, imagine the amazing lives that we that we would all have. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, it'd be amazing. It'd be amazing. Uh, but in the meantime, there's this Blu-ray to look forward to that I, I know I'm going to watch. I really enjoyed the heck out of this. And I was so excited when the movie started this morning. Over my cup of coffee, my smoothie, <laughs> and my cat next to me sleeping. Uh, <laughs> I got, I sounds, mean, sounds like heaven. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, listeners, pull, pulling back the curtain here a little bit, I sent a message to Alistair saying, I might need about 15 minutes to get started. Because my intention was start the movie, then make my coffee, then make my morning smoothie and all that while the movie's playing. And no, I knew as soon as the movie started, that's not going to happen. I, I'm going to need the extra time. I need to stop right now. Go make my stuff. Come back because I'm not missing any of this. I'm not multitasking here. I got to watch this movie. So. It's 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 an interesting point as well, Derek. But because it, it, it is quite a short film, it, mm -hmm. it doesn't overstay its welcome. But yeah. but it is packed. So it's not the kind of film where you can just wander away and do something else. You you really do need to uh, you really do need to stay for the whole thing. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Well, I know I said a little bit ago we're going to do this before we wrap up. We got to play a round of the Classic Five. The, the Classic Five. I was so scared that you might have forgotten. So oh, absolutely yeah. not, sir. Absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, I've been moving it to the end of the show as of late, um, at least for some of the old timers, you know, people that have been on the show before. Because at mm. this point, we know who you are. It's not a getting to know you game. Now it's a we just get to do it because it's fun game. It the Classic fun. Five is a game that we play on every episode of Monster Kid Radio where I have a literal deck of cards, and I know I keep promising it, but part of my deadline October plans for the year is to get 
deck two out. I have a literal deck of cards here. Each card has a this or that, which movie do you prefer style question on them. They're all about monster movies. There are no wrong answers. It's just a fun way to pass some time with some monster kids. You ready to play around with the Classic Five, sir? I certainly am. Okay. I'm going to stack the deck here, and I'm, I, I've picked this one specifically. Not counting this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was the most recent ghost movie you've watched? Wow. I saw um, at the cinema, actually. I reviewed it for the local paper uh, last night in Soho. Oh, yeah? How is that? Yeah. Oh, I loved it. I really? loved it. Oh, that's great. Um, I, I, I particularly loved it because the l- local cinema, I, I live in a fairly small village, mm-hmm. and the cinema very much caters to its members. It's um, it's locally run and locally owned, and they are very responsible to their members, their, their membership. Okay. And unfortunately, in a survey, the members very, very sadly put the horror genre at the bottom of Ah. their preferred movies, which given their general age and whatever, I guess isn't too surprising. So I I was asked to go along and and review this film last night in Soho. I had no idea what it was about, except that it had uh, Anya Taylor-Joy and was directed by Edgar Wright, Incidentally, it was it was the film project which I mentioned at the very beginning there that he was working on when lockdown happened. So okay. I went along with Rose to see this movie, had no idea what it was about, and I was absolutely delighted that yeah? it was a horror film. And, well, a, a um, ghost movie, in fact. So when I reviewed it, I talked it up like nothing else. I, I thought, look, you guys, you guys, this is the community, you might think you don't like horror, but there's, this is a damn good film. It's Dame Diana Riggs' last appearance. Oh. It's, be- it's beautifully acted, beautifully directed. Go along. Give it a chance. There's a lot more to horror than, than, than you might imagine. So I can only hope people did. That was one that I did want to see and just never got around to when it was playing theatrically around here. So yeah. I'll have to wait for the home media market, but it's it's on my list. You know, it's Excellent. on my list. But going Highly back to the zombie thing, Edgar Wright's you know, one of these filmmakers that I've enjoyed everything that he's done that I've seen. And of mm. course, Shaun of the Dead is what put him on my map, oh, so yes. on my radar. So yeah, I definitely want to see that. Excellent, yeah. Right on. Really recommended. All right. So, so that's, that, 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 that brings us right up to date, actually, doesn't it? That might be one of the most recently produced ghost ghost movies it really is and i knew it was a horror movie i didn't necessarily know it was a ghost story so now Mm. now i really want to see it (laughs) yeah i hope it gets to me (laughs) i hope it i hope it messes with me it it, it will will. (laughs) (laughs) all right card number two and you're an artist you're an illustrator you do some amazing work so i like that this one just came up and this one is random what classic monster movie needs a comic book adaptation I'm sorry, it just popped straight into my head. It didn't need any kind of thought at all. And if it's already been done, I will come up with another one. But it's got to be the creature. I know Art Adams did one, but honestly, I like Arthur Adams. I like Art Adams' art a lot. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it really fit the creature material. So I'd like to see another one. I'd like to see another one. Me too. Me too. And I love drawing the creature. 
yeah. I would love to draw Julie Adams. So <laughs> please, somebody, if you ever want a creature graphic novel, I will clear about three years and uh, <laughs> I'll get going on it. <laughs> I love that idea and you don't need to give me any more ideas because I've got way too many things on my plate to say I want to do I it know. so yeah <laughs> <laughs> alright well in a roundabout way um, you and I may have a project coming up where some of your artwork appears with some of my words but that's all I want to say right now alright okay. card number three <laughs> yes um, this comes from the Monster Bash deck and I know you've never been to Monster Bash so I'm going to open it up a little bit Okay. Who, who do you wish you could meet at a horror convention? As you know, I do a podcast, a Hammer-based podcast with yep. Stephen Turek, Ham Hammerama. Mm -hmm. I've just finished editing our fourth episode, and the film that we talk about is Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. Nice. And what we've done is we've edited in an excerpt of Stephen's longer review with Martin Beswick. That's fantastic. And I and I and I mention in the episode that Steve sent me the clip, so I listened to it before uh, we, we we recorded. So it was very very early in the morning. I had a cup of coffee, listened to this clip, and that voice, that voice, and that wonderful accent, that totally unique accent, which started in Jamaica and then sort of roamed all around the world and, and has turned into this wonderful combination. And her voice is also so incredibly youthful sounding as well. At mm -hmm. one point, she, she she laughs and she sounds like the Martin Beswick that, that you've seen in movies from decades ago. So I, I found myself falling in love with the voice and i know that this will get me into trouble with josh kennedy but um <laughs> I, I i think i've fallen in love with martin beswick just listening to her voice so i would love to meet that lady everything that i've heard about her from everyone they have nothing but praise they have nothing but the best things to say about her so if i was to pick one person i would pick martin beswick She's pretty phenomenal. Uh, she lives up to the hype and then some, uh, having met her myself and, you know, interviewed her and she's been on Monster Kid Radio and, and all that and uh, having a chance to work on House of the Gorgon, doing some of the sound mm, work for Josh. That's right. You did, I got yeah. to, you know, listen to her voice a lot uh, and mm. it never got old. Um, yeah. She's, pre she's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Pretty fantastic. Yeah. So, very cool. <laughs> Uh, sorry, Josh, please, <laughs> please don't come after me. <laughs> you know, I think if I remember right, when I met her at Monster Bash, you know, we did the hug and she, she <laughs> did the, you know, kiss on the cheek thing and all that. And I thought, this is wonderful. But now I have to explain to Josh why Mrs. Kennedy just gave me a kiss. <laughs> so. <laughs> all right. Card number three, what is your go-to film to introduce somebody to Hammer films? Wow. Now, there's there, there's a question. I'll, I'll qualify it by saying that, as, as we were saying about your girlfriend possibly introducing you to, to Doctor Who, you very much have to weigh the person's personality, mm -hmm. I think. But putting that to one side horror of dracula 
just encapsulates everything about Hammer that I love. Yeah. And I think that, that, that most people love. You have you have Cushing and Lee. Okay, let's just let's just start start there. You have cinematography of a quality that um, that unfortunately you only rarely saw saw again. But it is sumptuous. It is it is delicious cinematography. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the set design, the soundtrack, the performances, the um, the whole aesthetic that Hammer presents, where suddenly horror becomes an action film. And this is one of the things that I've always loved about Hammer. Um, You can watch that sequence of Peter Cushing running across the table and tearing down those curtains forever. It's just so beautifully filmed and exciting. And I'm getting excited talking about it, so maybe I should stop now. But to me, (laughs) Horror of Dracula is the package. It is the complete package. And if you want to show someone what Hammer is all about, I I really don't think you can go wrong with that particular film. I am really excited to hear you say that because um, my girlfriend's not overly familiar with Hammer. And I've been trying to figure out how am I going to introduce her? What's the best one to show her? She loves Lord of the Rings, so she knows Peter Cushing. I'm sorry, she knows Christopher Lee. She knows Christopher Lee, right? So, so yeah. Now I'm thinking, all right, horror of Dracula. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna get her into Hammer films. That's that's gonna happen. As much as I'd love to show her a Peter Cushing film flat out, but you know, she, yes. she just doesn't know Peter Cushing as well. So yeah, yeah. Um, and the fact that he's played Doctor Who rather than the doctor um, right. i guess that's a hook for her as well so there you go it's there a win-win win, derek it's a win-win it's a lot about her that's a win you know here i'm doing it again darn it <laughs> uh, i'm smitten okay i'm sorry all right card uh, number four uh, i can tell <laughs> i don't think i've brought this up in a while i don't think this card's actually come up in a lot of conversations lately mm-hmm. um, which harry has a film do you prefer the seventh voyage of sinbad or jason and the argonauts I know, right? <laughs> now I'm I'm going to embarrass myself just a tiny bit here. Oh no! The seventh voyage. Uh huh. That's is that the first or second? Because I always confuse them. You know, I do too. So don't feel bad. Yeah, I'm um, sorry. Um, seventh voyage of Sinbad came out in 1958. So it's the first. Yeah. It's, yep. it's 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 first. Okay. Uh given that Derek, I'm so sorry. Um, would you mind editing this out? I've just got to go and let the cat out. I will of be course. I will be right back. Of course. I'm so sorry about that. It's no, it's all good. good. It's all good. That was so unprofessional, but he's um he's an older cat, and let's just say that um I can't trust his bladder, so uh, I understand. I had to act on that. <laughs> okay. No, it's all good. It's all good. Dude. Thank you, thank you. It's all good. Okay, to go back to your question. Okay, just leave a pause. And given that that's the first Sinbad film, I am going to go to Jason and the Argonauts. 
And I'm going to talk about an amazing woman as well, as you have been for most of this podcast, and quite understandably. <laughs> the, <laughs> quite understandably. The amazing woman I'm going to talk about is my mother. And yeah. it's as I get older and I, and I look back, I realize that the reason that I love a lot of the fantasy and horror and science fiction that I do actually came from her. Okay. Um, and it, we watched movies together that have become all-time classics. We watched Forbidden Planet together and cringed oh, wow. in terror from the monster from the id. Um, my mother probably got me into Doctor Who. My mother secretly fancied Christopher Lee, so she was a she was a Hammer fan, and she got me into Hammer. Oh, and the, that's and, great. And the one film that I have really fond memories of watching with my mum was mm. Jason and the Argonauts. Okay. It was one of those movies that would come around every year, maybe Christmas holidays, maybe that kind of time. We'd sit down and we'd watch Jason and the Argonauts. And I, I remember her just laughing with with glee when the skeletons, when the children of the Hydra appear. Nice. She, you 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 know that thing that we do sometimes, Derek, when we're watching something, it's a movie that we love and and in our case it might be something horrific. And when <laughs> it happens, we, we, we just give that little kind of kind of sound. Uh-huh. That's what we did with, with Jason and the Argonauts. Oh. She she just loved it and she instilled that um that love of the fantastic in me. So Mum, I miss you, but I will always be grateful that you expanded my imagination, that you gave me that love for for these wonderful, wonderful films. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, we are recording this a week before Mother's Day here in the States. This episode mm -hmm. won't be going out until the beginning of June because Lucha de Mayo and everything is coming up. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's amazing to hear, man. That's that's pretty awesome. Thanks. So, all right. So that was card number four. We'll go out with a kaiju question. Mm. What kaiju would make a good sports team mascot? <laughs> well, that was unexpected. <laughs> I am going to suggest Gamera. I'm oh. going to suggest Gamera. Okay. Because... Um, I don't think Gamera gets enough love. I I I love Godzilla, but I love King Kong more. And when I hear Godzilla getting all this love, I get a little bit of resentment. I think I think that overgrown lizard gets too much attention. Oh, but I think <laughs> <laughs> Steve Turek's probably going to have words with you the next time you record. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Steve. So. Um, <laughs> I love Gamera because it, it it is a whole alternative world of of kaiju, which I don't I don't think is appreciated enough. Um, and he's a giant turtle. I mean, come on, what could be the mascot than a giant turtle? So I'm gonna say Gamera. All right, I, I do love me some Gamera. I do love me some Gamera. So that's yeah. awesome. What what sport would he be a mascot for? You think? <laughs> 
That'll be a good one for him. I don't know. Ba- baseball comes to mind uh, straight away. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure why. Maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe you could make the bases in the shape of a turtle. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I can't. I can't justify that one, Derek. Sometimes my neurons just fire or misfire, and it's very hard to say why. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, though. I like it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that was the classic five. Thank you for playing around with us today. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thank you for doing the hard part of figuring out our time zone differences to uh, appear on the show this time around. Uh, being down in. New Zealand and me up here in Washington state, uh, the, the time zone difference is brutal. So thank you for working with me and figuring that out for me as well. No, 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 no problem at all, Derek. It's almost like, uh, like navigating a multiverse, right? Uh, uh, yeah, but we got there. We got there. <laughs> so you mentioned it earlier. I'm going to mention it again and I'll even play the promo for it. Hammerama is a limited series. How many episodes are you going to do? Do you know? I'm go. Uh, I don't know if I've discussed this with with Stephen, but my feeling was that we would give it a, a year, so it okay. comes out every, every every month. So we're going to give it twelve initial episodes. We're going to okay. see how 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 it is received. We're going to see how it fits in with our with our lifestyles. Um, I'm very happy to say it seems to have been extremely well received so far. So let's just see if we can keep that momentum going. So it's part of the Diecast Movie Podcast, uh, I guess, Empire. I don't know. I don't know what you want to call it, but uh, <laughs> it's part of that particular feed. Uh, you and Steve talk about a Hammer film once a month, uh, and uh, it's it's very well done. I'm excited to hear it. I I do miss doing 1951 Downplace. I'm not going to say that it might come back because I've been saying that for a long time. So it's it's awesome to hear somebody else kind of pick up the uh, the hammer flag. And I know there are other shows that do it too, but I really enjoy what you guys are doing. So That's, uh, we, uh, I really appreciate that, Derek. I mean, obviously 1951 Down Place was a huge in- influence, not just on this show, but in sort of revitalizing my own love of hammer and certainly my, my love of podcasts. It, it had a huge influence on me. So in in many ways, this is Steve's and my uh, tribute to 1951 Downplace. And like you guys, what we're trying to do is something just a little bit different. Because the Hammer films have been so microscopically examined by many, many expert people, we really just want to do something different. We want to give our own views. We don't just want to parrot received wisdom which can be read in so many other places mm-hmm. we like to have a bit of fun with it we like to bring our own views and no doubt misconceptions and <laughs> um yeah and maybe yeah. just sort of re- repackage hammer in a way that might appeal to people who've never seen a hammer film before right on. well i'm digging it even though i've seen so many hammer films over the years (laughs) so it will appeal to those folks as well so check that out that's like i said it's part of the diecast movie podcast uh show and what have you got coming up you a book just came out not too long ago featuring your artwork right 
It did. It did. I've been I've been very lucky to be welcomed into the We Belong Dead uh, fold, uh, which many nice. of, of your of your friends and guests uh, are also part of. Um, they have their thirtieth anniversary special coming out, where I have an article, which uh, oddly enough. Oh, nice! It's about the film that we've just discussed. Are you serious? That's, ama- that's amazing. <laughs> I, I'm absolutely serious, and um, I've made a very conscious effort not just to repeat what I've written in in that article. So, for those of you who get that special, you're not just going to reread what I've just said. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's quite it's quite quite a different approach. Um, I have a I have a larger feature length article coming up for them, which I probably shouldn't say too much about, but that's going to involve a, an awful lot of research, which I'm which I'm looking forward to. On the illustration side, I'm continuing to illustrate um, for Dick Clemenson's Little Shop of Horrors. Nice, uh, which I love doing. And uh, outside of the horror genre, I'm just about to begin my seventh children's book, uh, illustrating my seventh children's book. Uh, This one is about uh, the New Zealand physicist Ernest Rutherford, who split the atom. So it has a sort of uh, science-y, almost science fiction kind of aspect to it, which I'm really looking forward to jumping into. That sounds fun. yeah, so I'm I'm keeping busy, Derek, just like all, all of us. I have nowhere near the amount of projects on the go that uh, you and and Steve have, but um, it's great to diversify and to be able to concentrate on the things that we that we really love doing. Well, it's the spice of life, isn't it? That, yeah, I I agree. Um, yeah. I agree, even if that pesky work and sleep get in the way. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> you know, I say earlier that if I didn't have to work and sleep, I'd read and watch more. But the truth is, if I didn't have to work and sleep, I'd just fill it up with other projects that I want to do. Because <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to say no to myself. So. <laughs> You're not telling me anything I don't already know, Derek. But, you know, it's, 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 it's people like you who keep the rest of us enthused. So, oh, well. Uh, keep doing what you do. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I'll, I'll, I hope not to let anybody down and say that <laughs> with what, what I've got coming up. Um, and I know uh, having people like you involved in various projects and all that, it'll make it really difficult to let people down. So thank you for everything that you've contributed, not just to the podcast, but to our, you know, to me as a friend uh, and, and potential future collaborator on things. Um, thank you. I appreciate you, man. It's always a pleasure, Derek. And the other thing that I'm grateful for is is technology. I mean, I'm I'm about fourteen thousand kilometers away from you and nineteen hours ahead. But um, thank thank goodness we can do these things together despite yes. that uh, that that distance and and time. So living in, in a very beautiful but very isolated little country at the bottom of the world is no longer an obstacle. And uh, who knows, one day I might make it to a monster bash. That would Ooh. that would really be something. Well, I know that my girl here, I'm doing it again. <laughs> my girlfriend does have family in that part of the world. She oh, does have, I believe, great. a cousin, um, either in Australia or New Zealand. I know that he wow. appeared in one of the Hobbit films as a, a background extra type, and they shot a lot of that in that area. Hmm. I'll have to ask more. I'll have to ask more. 
Do you? Yeah, do apparently you? he's much. He's even taller than I am, and appeared as like a giant or a large orc-like character in one of the films. But they replaced his head with like the actual talent. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so whenever he turns up on screen, it's like, well, that's him. Except it's not. Is what I understand. Yes, so. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, you'll, you'll always have a spare room here, Derek. I appreciate that. I, I do. Uh, and I know you even reached out to me when I was talking about how I needed to move. It's like, well, yeah, I've got a room. It's like, well, <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. But uh, how many kilometers did you say it was? I, that's, yeah. 40,000. Uh. <laughs> yes. And despite the fact that you're like 14 hours ahead of me or whatever, you still yet to give me winning lotto numbers. So I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I think the um, Time Lords have rules against that sort of thing. <laughs> and I knew that reference. I know that <laughs> reference. <laughs> oh, yes. In a galaxy far, far away, the adventures of Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, and Han Solo did not end with the destruction of the Death Star. Now, the Empire Strikes Back and the Star Wars saga continues with the struggle against the dark forces of evil. Read the exciting story in Sphere Paperback. Hear John Williams' magnificent score on RSO records and tapes. See The Empire Strikes Back, Certificate U. At the Odeon Leicester Square from Wednesday, May the 21st. An exclusive presentation in 70mm and Dolby Stereo. Book now. Huge thanks to Mark and Kenny, and big thanks to Al for being part of this week's episode of the podcast. If you want to hear anything from Al on the Hammer Films front, make sure you check out Hammerama, which is a limited series over at the Diecast Movie Podcast, which you can find at anchor.fm slash Stephen-Turek, or just follow the link in the show notes, of course. And of course, Mark is awesome and just knocking it out of the park. And Kenny, thank you again for taking some time out of your birthday week to send us some material for this week's episode of the show. If you have any feedback for the show, y'all know how it works. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. Of course, you're going to find that over on our website at MonsterKidRadio.net, where you're going to find links to everything that we've talked about here on the show, as well as all the previous episodes as well. If you want to go through the archives and just look at previous episode listings and kind of get back into the, you know, get, I don't know what I'm saying. Just go check out the website. You're going to find links to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, our Twitter, our Discord, our Patreon. It's all there. We have a subreddit. Lots of material out there. Not a lot of it's being used because, honestly, I don't have a lot of time to use it. I do hang out on Discord. I do hang out on Reddit. But I don't really start conversations there. So if you are one of these users, if you use Discord or Reddit or any of these other uh, resources online where Monster Kid Radio has a presence, start a conversation. Get the talk talking. Get the monsters monstering or I don't know what I'm saying anymore. I just want to get this episode out. Bottom line is, if you're online, please share the word. Spread the word. Get the Monster Kid Radio digital footprint i'm back where i don't know what i'm talking about i need to either get some more coffee or just wrap up and finish up the show so i can get it out to everybody 
next week on the show. Let's talk about what's coming up. I know what's coming up. I'm not going to have to tell you why I don't know or stay tuned or anything. I can tell you flat out right now. We're going to be talking about the Lionel Atwill film, The Flying Serpent. That's going to be happening next week with Tom Greganis from Go Forth and Game. Tom is a longtime friend of the show. He's a friend of mine. He wants to be on the show to talk about The Flying Serpent. Who am I to say no to that? It's Lionel Atwill. Lionel Atwell will always have a home here on MKR. He may not be in that top three, you know, the Karloff, Lugosi, Agar collection of Monster Kid Radio Saints, so to speak, but he's right up there near the top, along with people like George Zuko. You know, he's just, he's awesome. And so is the Flying Serpent. It might have even been better when it was the Devil Bat, but we'll talk about that next week with Tom. Between now and then, remember... Monster Kid Radio's registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license, of course. That does not apply to Hang 10 Hop. That is copyright 2022, The Hang 10 Hangmen, which you can find over at thehangtenhangmen.bandcamp.com. Go check them out. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao.